This podcast contains adult content. Some of the themes or topics may include information on murder, kidnapping, torture, dismemberment, maybe some demonic content with information on positions and paranormal activity. This podcast will also include explicit, horrible and foul, socially unacceptable, totally uninhibited adult themes language. So if you're easily offended, if you're easily triggered, then I highly suggest you turn this off now. And if not, just keep in mind, parental discretion is advised. Got a nice little bonus episode for you here. I am going to thank new Patreon subscribers and read new reviews on the next full-length episode, which will be on Monday. This episode, we are going to be discussing the death of Christopher Case. We're going to go back to Seattle, April of 1991. Christopher Case is a 35-year-old artist manager. He works for a Seattle-based music company. He made good money, he's happy with life, he's happy with his job, he has no known enemies, and he's a very well-liked guy by everybody who knew him. He had lived previously in North Carolina before moving to Seattle and still had a lot of close contacts out there. So when his friends in North Carolina start getting calls from him, where he's noticeably scared, and he sounds out of breath, and he's paranoid... And he's telling them that a witch had put a curse on him and that he's going to die soon. Case's friend, by the name of Souter, who's from Fayetteville, North Carolina, says that he leaves a message on her phone and told her, quote, They're after me. I'm very, very afraid. I could die from this. End quote. And he tells her that he's afraid because the witch had been attacking him all night and cutting him. And he woke up with little cuts on the ends of his fingers. And it's not just her that gets these phone calls. Several other of his friends get phone calls just like this. And they all said the same thing. That he sounds paranoid. And he's saying that he only has one week to live at one point. Actually right about a week before he died. And it should be known that Christopher Case had no previous interest in the paranormal. He's a mentally sound guy, and this is why his friends thought it was super weird that all of a sudden he believed in a witch's curse. So his friends start worrying about his mental health, right? And these calls are going on for about three weeks. Two of his friends from North Carolina are keeping in close contact with him almost daily. On April 17th, 1991, Case doesn't show up for work. His friends start calling him. They're getting no answer. So they call the cops to have a wellness check done. The cops go to his apartment. The door is locked. Nobody answers. So they leave. Well, there's still no contact with him the next day. So the cops go back on April 18th, 1991. And this is right at about 4 p.m. 
Well, when they show up at the entranceway of his apartment out on the porch, there's a big geometric pattern drawn in salt. And the cops go to knock on his door and still get no answer. But this time the door is unlocked. So the cops go and walk in. And what they find is something out of a movie. They find Christopher Case in the bathroom. He's fully clothed. He's knelt down in a praying position in an empty bathtub. And he is dead. His body showed no signs of injury. No signs of struggle, no foul play. But around the body are ten burned out candles, and they're organized around the tub, and a bunch of crucifixes scattered everywhere in there. Well, in the rest of the apartment, this place is covered with crucifixes, amulets, arcane talismans, and along all the bases of the walls, door frames, and corners of the apartment are carefully laid lines of salt. And then there's books everywhere on witchcraft, and black magic, and occult. And cops say there are other objects found in the apartment as well that quote-unquote have some significance in self-protection against demons or evil forces. But what they also find are a bunch of handwritten letters and notes. And on these letters and notes that he had written, he explained what had happened to him. And he explains the whole chain of events up until his death. And what he says in these letters and notes are a few weeks earlier, he had gone on a trip to San Francisco. He had met a woman who claimed to be an expert on ancient Egyptian music. Now, for Christopher Case, this was an awesome thing because one of his hobbies was ancient music. So, him and her started talking back and forth. And the woman eventually makes a pass at him. She hits on him. And he said that he felt unnerved by her, so he politely refused her advances. And he said after he did that, she got really, really angry with him. And then she told him that she's a witch, and she was going to put a curse on him. And in these letters, he explains that he didn't believe in witchcraft or the paranormal at the time. But he still found it very unsettling. He said he just had this strange feeling around her. So still in these letters, he says that after he gets home, he becomes a believer. He starts seeing all these shadow figures in his home. And he starts waking up with all these bruises and cuts. And there's all these other strange things happening in his apartment. So he goes and he buys a bunch of books and he starts reading all these books on the occult. And he's trying to find ways to protect himself. But he also doesn't feel safe in his own home, so he starts staying at hotels too. And while he's doing this, he's looking for professional help. And he's trying to seek out the help of some psychics or anybody that can help him for this matter. And this is one of the reasons he starts calling his friend in North Carolina by the name of Souter. And he calls her like several times over the course of like the next three weeks. Because she's a psychic herself. And they had been friends for like ten years. And she even says, he was always a stable person. There's no reason to suspect that he's out of his mind, you know. And a week before he dies, he leaves a message to her on her answering machine 
saying, quote unquote, people are trying to do things to me, but he didn't really elaborate on it. But the kicker is, is that he leaves almost the exact same message on another friend's phone who was anonymous. And these two ladies in North Carolina were the ones who kept calling the cops, having them do the welfare checks. So in Seattle at the time, I mean, huge thank you to the Seattle Times, I believe the newspaper is, because they had a lot of good articles printed on this. And you guys can all go and look them up. They're in the archives and stuff like that. Like, the cops don't even know what the fuck's going on. They're, they don't even know how to handle something like this. But on May 3rd, 1991, everything comes to a halt because the autopsy results come back. And the medical examiner says he died from acute myocarditis, which basically is heart failure. But the kicker is, it's like I said, he's 35 years old. He's a healthy guy who exercises regularly. He didn't drink, he didn't smoke, and he didn't do drugs. So is this odd or not? Well, let's look up myocarditis real quick. Here's basically what this is. It's an inflammation of the heart muscle. Uh, it can affect your heart muscle and your heart's electrical system, reducing your heart's ability to pump and causing rapid or abnormal heart rhythms, which is arrhythmias. A viral infection usually causes myocarditis, but it can result from a reaction to a drug or be part of a more general inflammatory condition. Signs and symptoms include chest pain, fatigue, shortness of breath, and arrhythmias. Severe myocarditis weakens the heart so that the rest of your body doesn't get enough blood. Clots can form in your heart, leading to a stroke or heart attack. Like I said, some of your symptoms would include chest pain, rapid or abnormal heart rhythms, shortness of breath, while you're resting or during physical activity, fluid retention with swelling of your lungs, ankles, and feet, fatigue, other signs and symptoms of a viral infection such as a headache, body aches, joint pain, fever, sore throat, or diarrhea. So knowing that, I have a very, very good friend of mine named Aline. Aline is an ER doctor, and she is very well versed on acute myocarditis. So I did an interview with her, and I'm just going to let you know right now, I did not get a chance to do this interview at home. So the audio quality is not usually what it is, but it's not, not bad by any means. So I'm just going to put Aline on, and you can listen to our little talk about this. All right, everybody, because this case was so strange and I have the opportunity to talk to a doctor, I invited a very good friend of mine onto the show. She's just all around cool and super informative, and she's very unique to this condition. So I'm going to uh, let you go ahead and introduce yourself for the listeners. My name is Aline Brogosian. Um, I'm actually an ER doctor in Pennsylvania. Interestingly, <laughs> I had a case of this, not only, well, I kind of had a case of this myself, so I can talk about this not only personally, but I've seen it in patients and also have been through it. So you can ask me all you want about it. So when I sent you the link for this case and mm -hmm. just wanted you to read through it, what did you think about it just in general? So I thought it was pretty interesting when I read it. 
and I I was leaning towards like in the beginning I I read it and I was like wow this is pretty interesting but then when I read the autopsy report or like you know that final thing that I read about the autopsy report I was like well now it makes sense of why <laughs> this happened <laughs> so I don't know yeah that's kind so, of how I felt about it <laughs> yeah like I told you before we recorded I felt the same way I was I don't want to say I was disappointed because I wanted this to be something that was more unexplainable but for the right. listeners mm-hmm. acute myocarditis is that how it's mm-hmm. pronounced myocarditis yes yes so exactly. it is an inflammation of the heart walls right mm-hmm. so since he had previously traveled whether it be to San Francisco to meet this witch or traveled for work elsewhere how mm-hmm. would he have picked this up without even realizing it? He had previously traveled, but usually acute myocarditis is uh, is something that is infectious, can be caused by usually a virus. And the number one virus that we see, at least in the United States, is usually influenza that causes this. And so, you know, he could have traveled and gotten something and contracted something, or he could have just, you know, had the flu um, and didn't know it and you know it kind of went to his heart and he had subacute symptoms and then he could have died from it so that's kind of how I got it. How would it affect the rest of him like he had reported that he was kind of suffering from somewhat of hallucinations and bruising Mm -hmm. and stuff like that how does myocarditis play into that aspect? So myocarditis is an acute inflammation of the heart. And it's basically when there's an infection in your body. And one of the things that it could cause is high fevers. And once you have like really, really high fevers, you can become like altered mentally. Um, We would say like altered mental status in the medical world. So if you're having hallucinations from fevers, which is something like we commonly see, especially like in the emergency department from people who have like really, really bad infections, including things from myocarditis, um, that would explain that. On okay. the bruising part, I, and I was looking into this too, if it had been myocarditis, sometimes what myocarditis could do is if it shut down like other organ systems because his heart wasn't pumping well, like for example, if it shut down the liver and you know he went into something called shock liver or he went into something called DIC, which you know I don't need to get into, but basically his liver enzymes weren't doing well. That means his coagulation enzymes or like his, you know, his, his blood products basically weren't working as well and he, that would cause bruising and we com- we more commonly seen this with like endocarditis but you know myocarditis I assume would possibly cause that too so maybe I mean I can't say it definitely causes it but that's kind of what I was thinking so if he himself thinks that he has this curse and obviously there was enough evidence around the house he truly believed that he was cursed Do you think he could have worked himself up to the point to where when he was in that bathtub where he actually died in a kneeling, praying position in a freaking empty bathtub, do you think he could have Mm -hmm. worked himself up to the point that he could have possibly suffered from some kind of heart attack? Because I, they said it was heart failure, but Mm -hmm. a lot of, uh, there was one other website I read that said heart attack. And I mean, do you think it's possible that that condition, if he was that paranoid and that freaked out and freaking himself out, do you think that could have played into the myocarditis? That would make like like from the stress 
that probably wouldn't cause myocarditis. That would probably cause something more of a heart attack, like actually like stopping the heart like because of decreased blood flow. I don't think it would explain the myocarditis as much. Um, well, do you think it could have but, played, if he mm -hmm. had myocarditis, do you think it could have played into that condition like a little bit more aggressively? Maybe, yeah. I mean, I feel like stress could always, or paranoia could always worsen anything. Yeah. So I can't say no, but still less <laughs> likely. Okay, that's totally fair. How long do people have this before they usually get to a point where they seek medical attention? Like what's the, what's the time frame of actually getting it or knowing you have it and then passing away from it? So myocarditis can, so it usually starts off with like just cold like symptoms and um, sometimes you don't even have any symptoms at all. And then within just a couple of days, you would start having a cough and shortness of breath, symptoms of heart failures. So, so usually what like we would say is be like this patient was 30, 35 years old, completely healthy, you know, had no medical problems, but just suddenly died of like, we don't even know what that's usually. And then like afterwards, they in the autopsies when they find this, this reason, it, it usually it, it happens so quickly. So cough shortness of breath within a few days. And then if it's not found in time, then the person could die of just sudden cardiac death. Because what happens is like basically the heart stops pumping as well. If it's found in time, then you can go on life support. You can get a transplant. You can get that. Sometimes it just resolves on its own too. But for the most part, you usually need some sort of supportive care. But it, it is within days. Really? Like yep. Yeah, they were talking about him traveling quite a bit, like the few weeks prior and, uh, you know, debating. I'm sitting here debating on, you know, maybe he caught something while he was traveling. Maybe he picked it yeah. up locally or something like that. It's just uh, it was pretty odd. When you go into a hospital with these symptoms, is this something that they routinely check for or is it something that is usually found after the fact? So that's the hard part is that, and I actually looked at the statistics, it's actually really difficult to check for sometimes because many people just die from it and then it's found after the fact um, because it, it comes on so suddenly and it usually just starts off as a cold and then by the time like you're so sick, you just die. And then the way you actually diagnose it officially, like formally in the medical world is actually with the cardiac biopsy. So you have to know of the diagnosis before doing the biopsy. Like it's not just a quick blood test that you do. But, you know, I, we still see patients in the ER who look like this in those few days that they're, you know, having that cough and the congestion and the shortness of breath and they come in right on time and we were able to admit them to the hospital and get them on, you know, the support that they need and they're actually diagnosed with it, that could happen too. So it, it is, it's hard to diagnose, but if you find it on time, you're able to get a biopsy and it's officially diagnosed. Now, personally, can I ask, how did you mm -hmm. get that diagnosis? So, <laughs> so I had a genetic like defect in my heart already but I didn't know about it so they think that my heart was already kind of more susceptible to it and then I had caught a cold last fall that worsened it and then um, I ended up on life support and I actually needed a transplant <laughs> so I was one of the lucky few that ended up getting the transplant but I see it all the time too so I always tell people you're lucky <laughs> you know it's one of those things that we see all the time and it, it's usually 
it's usually one of the ones that we see in young people who are otherwise healthy, which is my case too. You know, you're, yeah. it's the marathon runner, it's the jogger, it's the one who's never, you know, done drugs or smoked or anything. So, so regarding this case, is there anything mm-hmm. that was written about scratches on the ends of his fingers? I didn't, they didn't elaborate that on that. And I tried getting more yeah. information and couldn't find any on it, which I, yeah, I, you know, I wish, I wish they had like, I wish they had like the autopsy report or like, I wish they had more of his signs. Like what he, was he feeling anything those few days that he talked to anybody? Was he actually like hurting himself those few days before that would give us so much more information as to actually what happened. But I feel like at least some of the things could be answered by the myocarditis explanation. But again, it's kind of interesting. Like, I mean, I read it and I was like, yeah, I could be answered by it, but (laughs) yeah, that's pretty interesting because like not all of it can be explained (laughs) by that, which is exactly. No, I agree. Good. I'm glad we agree on that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> well, uh, this was, I know this wasn't the, the longest interview in the world, but having your expertise, you know, it's priceless, but I do <laughs> got to say, you've been a listener for a while and I know you uh-huh. well enough to say thank you for like, <laughs> for what welcome. you guys are, <laughs> for what you guys are doing out there in the hospitals and in the medical field, yeah. you know. You guys are working yeah, your asses yeah. off because, and I know this was so last minute because I literally just messaged you and and you're like, yeah, when do you want to do it next week? And I'm like, oh no, like in 36 <laughs> well, hours I did or say, something. <laughs> I did say my 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 PSA was that you know COVID could cause this for young people, so yes. it is important to stay in. <laughs> yes, it, it very much is. <laughs> You are awesome. And Dr. Aline, I appreciate you again coming <laughs> please, on. And, uh... Please just call me Aline. <laughs> okay. All right. That's, I like that better anyway. So <laughs> I know yeah, you no just problem. got done working a 12 hour day and shit. You know, you're probably ready to relax. So I appreciate it. No problem, man. All right. Thank you all for checking out this short little episode. And I got to give a huge thank you again to Aline for doing this last minute, very last minute. She came through 110%. Love that woman to death. She is so awesome. And after that, you guys go ahead let me know what you think. And until the next episode comes out, see you folks on the flip side.